I would always say if you can have, if you can be as happy for a teammate's success as if you did it yourself, the sky's the limit for the team. I would say it constantly in my first like 12 years of coaching at Alabama. Over Christmas break, I got the book, Help the Helper. It's a business sports book. And the third chapter in one of the paragraphs, it starts out by saying, having vicarious joy in someone else's success. In other words, Mudita. Hey, I'm Ashley Agle. Some of you might know me as Ashley Burkhart, and I'm a former D1 and professional softball player who spent a few years coaching in the college game before deciding to put all of my focus into youth softball players and helping them make their dreams and their goals happen for them. It's our job to help them unleash their potential and become the athletes they've always dreamt of. I come from a small city in the Midwest and didn't let that stop me from making my goal of playing D1 softball a reality. No matter where you live, you have the tools to help you thrive, and I am hoping through this podcast to help you get there. On this podcast, you'll learn from Olympians, Hall of Fame coaches, and elite players what their journeys have been like, and you'll also learn from me and my family a bit of our journey through the game. I'm so excited to have you here, so whip out your notebook and let's learn how we can grow in this game together. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Hey, hey, welcome back to When the Cleats Come Off. I'm so happy to have you here. It is always a great day when I get to introduce you to another Hall of Fame coach. And this one is none other than Alabama softball's head coach, Patrick Murphy. His teams have always been an absolute powerhouse, and I am so excited that you get to learn a little behind the scenes as to why that is. From leadership skills, everyday life skills, to the obvious physical skills needed to perform at the highest level, Murph is spending time with us today talking about those things and also necessary intangibles that he teaches every program that he's ever been a part of. We as parents, coaches, and players can all learn so much from this conversation. In case you didn't know these things about Coach Murphy already, listen up. Under his tenure at Alabama, they have gone to 12 Women's College World Series, six regular season titles they've had under him, four SEC tournament titles, and 21 straight NCAA tournament bids. And yes, in 2012, they had won a national championship. Also, his players have received NFCA All-American honors 57 times, 102 All-SEC honorees, and 101 NFCA All-Region honors. They've had 29 Academic All-Americans, 257 SEC honor roll selections under him, and in 2022, Pat Murphy was inducted into Alabama Sports Hall of Fame on May 7th. Wowza so many accomplishments and it's no surprise. Today in this episode, you will learn his incredible story of how a young guy from Iowa became a college coach. It's a pretty cool story. What he believes creates a great leader and what they look like on a team. He even shares what some of his greatest leaders look like. Also, what it truly means to own your role and why a championship team needs everyone, including the coaches and everyone on staff, to have this mastered. Why he wholeheartedly believes in affirmations and accountability and how you can teach your team to have these two important qualities. Things he looks for in a player when he's out recruiting. I know this one's exciting for some. A behind the scenes look at what practices look like and why they work on the things that they do. The absolute moment he knew that his team was gonna win a national championship in 2012. And no, it wasn't in the national championship game. It was long before. And we get into fun things like his favorite spot on campus and what we can expect from Alabama softball this year. I've met and even played with some of Alabama softball alums and every single one of them has the utmost respect for this man. And you are about to see why. Let's welcome to the show, the head coach of the University of Alabama, Patrick Murphy. Patrick Murphy, you are in the house. I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I, I, it's really good to see you. You too. You too. And the fact that this is the night before September 1st that we're recording, <laughs> this is incredible. Like this is, 
I'm just so grateful for the time and I will make sure it is worth your time. And also I know our listeners are very excited about this episode. You've been, you've come highly recommended from a lot of people. So, um, including myself. So just excited to have you here. First question that I have for you, (laughs) what got you into coaching? I'm just dying to know this one. Well, it's, um, I grew up in a small, small town in Northeast Iowa called Fayette. I graduated 10th in my class. There was 20 in the class. There was <laughs> 200 and about 94 kids, K through 12. Everybody knew everybody in the entire town. There was 964 people in the town itself. So wow. you talk about a small town. I grew up in a small town. But every family reunion, we would go to my grandmother's house in Dumont, Iowa, And it was a big family. She had six kids, three boys, three girls, lots of kids, Catholic family. And invariably, every single family reunion, a softball game would end up on the front lawn of her farm. And it was a big big lawn. Well, as the cousins got older and I got older, several of them, uh, their dad loved softball. And he played in the Army. He had a brother that played in the Army. And so fast pitch softball became the name of the game. And a couple of the cousins became pitchers. So when I was like in seventh or sixth grade, I was like, how in the heck are you doing that? You know, you got to pitch to me and show me. And I just, just, I couldn't believe how fast they could throw with Mm -hmm. that control. Uh, One year at one of my sisters, she graduated and, and everybody brought their gloves and came to our house. She pitched and she threw a little bit of a rise ball and hit me right in the nose. And I, 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 was, I was hurt, but I was more shocked that the ball moved that much. So I just fell in love with the sport. And then when I went to Northern Iowa, I was a student SID. And mm. my junior and senior years, they basically gave me softball and said, run with it, it's yours. And I became really good friends with the coaching staff. The lady that was the coach was a Hall of Famer, great lady. And she kind of adopted me. And then when I went to grad school at Louisiana Lafayette, like two weeks before school start, one of the assistant coaches quit. And the head coach, who's Yvette Girard, you know who that is, legendary coach, mm-hmm. and I, um, started the program at Louisiana Lafayette, then went to LSU and just won uh, 2,000 games. She took me to dinner one night, and uh, the only qualification I had was I had coached high school baseball in Iowa for a season. And we went to eat pizza and I thought we were going to talk about SID stuff because I went to grad school there for to be a sports information guy. And she found out I had coached one year of high school baseball in Iowa. And she's, at the end of it, she said, okay, how about another duty? And I said, sure, what is it? And she said, my assistant, part-time, no benefits, $6,000. And I was like, hell yeah, I'll do that. $6,000, are you kidding me? I flew down there with three suitcases and nothing else. And didn't have a car. I walked everywhere. Uh, I got lucky enough to get a ride every now and then. But um, she let me borrow her dad's 1974 red Ford pickup. And that was my truck to drive. And I was there for five years with Yvette. And she was the greatest mentor I could have asked for. Probably the hardest worker I've ever been around. Never, ever, ever, ever took no for an answer. And Mm. I learned everything about the sport from her. So I was in the right spot at the right time. Heck yeah, you were. Jeez, that is so cool. And I was going to talk to you about like role models. What are these things that she taught you? I'm dying to know. Oh, you know, and, and at the time when we were there, um, you know, Title IX had just come into play. Um, she literally started the program from scratch. Her mom would take old basketball uniforms, cut them up, and sew them into softball uniforms because you no. know, oh yeah, everybody wore shorts, so it was short and tank tops. And she was a fundraiser. She knew everybody in the community. She went to school there. She actually played volleyball there because softball there was no softball. Mm-hmm. So the community loved her. Her mom and dad had this Cajun lunch plate restaurant, a lunch spot that was really popular. And this is how unbelievable it was. About 11.20, Gerard would leave the softball office, drive to her parents' restaurant, run the cash register for the noon rush, come back to the office, plan practice with me, 
and we'd go practice softball for three hours in the afternoon. She did that almost the entire time she was at Louisiana Lafayette, which a lot of people I don't think even knew. But she she wow. had yeah she had to help the the family restaurant, and um, she got to know people. She got to know people because everybody would order you know um, jambalaya or whatever, and they'd get to know Yvette. And so when it came down to fundraising in, in Lafayette, nobody ever said no to her. Mm. And we couldn't have recruited. We couldn't have traveled. Um, it just was a, a really cool time. And I, I think it probably helped me more than anything else because we, I didn't step into something that was already store-bought. It was homemade. Mm. Started from scratch. She started it from scratch. And it just went from there. And we had to do everything. We were the grounds crew. We, I was the SID the whole time I was there, an assistant coach and an SID, and uh, the fundraisers, everything. So that was probably the best thing about it. I learned everything about intercollegiate athletics. You know, that makes a whole lot of sense. From being an outsider, me, looking in, I know you have built such a strong community within the team, culture within the team, but also like I'm, I'm watching this Nebraska game last night. I kid you not. And I see what that has built, right? Like what Nebraska volleyball has built for that entire community. And immediately, and not just because I was going to have you on today, I thought of Alabama softball because of how much you have like changed the community around your school um, based on the work that you do. Like I, I personally thought of that. I was like, if any softball team in the nation can do what Nebraska did, I feel like it's Alabama. I'd, because, I'd, believe me, I'd love to try. Seriously. Because Brian, Let's go. <laughs> yeah, Bryant Denny football stadium seats 101. So mm. we would break that record and I would love to break that record, but it, and kudos to everybody in Nebraska. I'm glad you brought it up because, um, what a night for women's athletics. You know, I'm a firm believer if one team wins, we all win. Yes. And whether it's soccer, volleyball, track, gymnastics, I don't care. Women's basketball. If there's something good that happens for a women's sport, we all win because eyeballs are on a female sport, you know, 92,000 people and they paid. So it, it was a huge win for women's athletics. So kudos to everybody at Nebraska for pulling that off. Yeah. I, w I literally had a tear in my eye. I was like, this is incredible. And, <laughs> and I just think of those little girls that are there and they're like, this is just the expectation, you know, yep. Yep. it's yeah. goosebumps. Yeah, the uh, player with the coach afterwards, they picked the perfect representative because, you know, I think in pregame, uh, she's standing next to Coach Cook and he's kind of looking around like the first time I was in New York City, you know, your chin is up, <laughs> look everywhere. Yeah. And the player, athlete, looks up to him and says, you taking it all in, coach? Yeah. No, nobody asked him that, right? Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And just, it was a cool moment between student athlete and coach. And it just was a really, really a neat night. Yeah. I'm huge on watching post-game interviews like that for that same reason. Like, cause I think you find massive leadership in how they can, you know, talk about their team, not just their self and their performance. And like Montana Fouts comes to mind. Like she, talk about a diamond, like someone that has absolutely shined. I have a feeling, though, when she walked in freshman year, was she that way? Or had she developed in those four years to become that leader, the outspoken oh. just leader that she ended up becoming? Um, and I'm glad you said that about post-game press conferences. But I also, I'm a nerd. I watch when coaches get hired, and I watch their hiring press conference. Doesn't Me too. Matter, doesn't matter what sport. And so I sit there, and I watch it usually on YouTube, because they're usually like at 10 a.m. or 1 p.m. But mm -hmm. I later that night and I sit there and I think, number one, would I want to play for him or her? And number two, would I want to work for him or her? And you can learn a lot about a press conference. I'm, I'm, I'm right with you there. Uh, one of the things that we do, and I'm glad you asked about Montana, um, we're huge in affirmations. So an affirmation to me is, I'll try to describe it like this, a compliment is a high five. An affirmation is a hug from your grandfather or your grandmother. There's mm -hmm. a, right? Yeah. Five you, not a big deal. Compliment, you know, 
I like your hairstyle today, or I like your shoes, something like that. It doesn't go very far with somebody. It's, it's, it's fleeting. But if you affirm a behavior that you absolutely love in someone, that means a lot, and it's going to stick with you. So we have practiced this over and over and over, and I wish you could be in our locker room when I'll, I'll, I'll come. <laughs> I'll say, anybody have someone they want to affirm today? And invariably, there's always somebody. And so you have to stand up in front of the, the classroom. We have a classroom in our, 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 our clubhouse. And let's say it's Montana. So she'll stand up in front of everybody and she'll look directly at the person she's affirming. And then it's direct to the point, very specific. Mm. The only thing the person says in return, and you know the answer, is two words. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. That's it. Not, oh, I don't do that. No, no. You know, which a lot of people do. And then in return, it kind of it kind of messes up the affirmer, right? Because she, she poured her heart out to you. And then all you say in return is thank you. And they learn to take a compliment. They learn to take an affirmation. Um, but over the years, Montana, Montana got so good at it. And just everybody in the room now, it is, it's awesome to see. And so this year, we really tried to uh, teach them that affirmation and accountability should be easily one and the same delivered and taken because a lot of kids in gen z they have a hard time holding someone accountable just shoot i do you know it's tough it's hard it is very hard so we start with the affirmation and you know it comes from the heart um both receiver and and, and affirmer are got have goosebumps Okay. But the coolest part about it is everybody else in the room does too. And they're not even involved. <laughs> you know, they, they are sitting there listening, but they have a shot of dopamine going through their body like nothing else. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you affirm somebody, it means a lot. So when you hold somebody accountable, it also should mean a lot because the person that's holding you accountable is basically telling you, I love you and I think you can do better. Yeah. One of the things we say in our program a lot is, Ashley, can you handle 30 seconds of embarrassment for a lifetime of learning? Heck yeah. Absolutely. And what I'm about to say to you, you might be embarrassed for 30 seconds, but if you really let it soak in and you, and you take it with you, you will learn for a lifetime. Are you okay with that? Totally. And everybody says yes. And mm. teammates, coaches, whatever. Okay. Are you okay with 30 seconds of embarrassment for a lifetime of learning? Okay, let's go. And it, it's tact and tone. Yes. The two words that you really have to remember when you hold somebody accountable. Now, if it's in the heat of a game and it's, you know, 4,000 people are watching and something happens, you might raise your voice, right? It might be quicker. It might be a little bit snappier, whatever it is. You have to realize where we're at, you know, and what the situation is. But in a classroom setting, in a practice setting, in a weight room setting, in a Starbucks setting, off the field, tact and tone comes first. So this year, especially the accountability and the affirmation, seamless. And I was so proud of this group because it was probably one of the best groups we've ever had that it didn't matter if you were affirming or holding them accountable. It, it wasn't like this big deal. Another thing I say is, um, can you take the good with the bad? Okay. Can you take good with the bad? Because the affirmation is the good. The accountability is the bad, right? Okay. Yeah. So, and most kids will say, yes, sir. Yes, I, I can do that. So um, just, it was a really good year for both of those A words, affirmation and accountability. Totally. And like, talk about just it all together, it develops trust. And yeah. so are you doing this from day one? Or yes. Are you diving into, okay. So day oh, one, oh. these things are happening and the freshmen are on board. Okay. And day one, I'll say we have a couple ground rules that we need to go over in this, in this building. 
So we laugh with, we don't laugh at anybody in this classroom building. Nobody. We laugh with. If you're laughing at somebody, you're making fun of them. We don't yeah. do that. Okay. So we never do that. We laugh with. If somebody screws up in front of everybody, we're laughing with them. We're not laughing at them. And then the second biggest thing is everybody in this room has everybody else's best interests at heart. And until they believe that, we're not going to be a complete team. Once they all believe that I have, Ashley, I have your best interests at heart. I do about everything. And when you say, Murph, I believe you, it's done. Sky's the limit. We're going to have a great year. But mm -hmm. if there's a reservation from anybody, and I'll say that means coach to coach, coach to player, and player to player. So I'll actually say, look around the room, and everybody in this room has everybody else's best interests at heart, 100%. So I spoke to uh, the Tide Growing Leaders last night, and it's the freshmen and sophomore leaders of all the athletic teams uh, at Alabama, and there was about 55 kids in there. And I gave those two rules to start with. And, you know, I, I'm not sure how many of them had heard that before, but a couple of them texted me later and said, I'm going to make sure that that happens on my team. So it does, it holds a lot of weight. It gets rid of all kinds of like, did she really, you know, did she say whatever? And then did she mean that? I, I'm, you know, and all the, you know, how the head starts to, the wheels start turning and turning and turning. And, and then it becomes, I don't trust her, you know, whatever. So, mm -hmm. That is a big thing in our program. And it just gives players and everyone on the team clarity. Like they know what to expect. And like a player is not going to be able to be successful if they're like second guessing how their coach feels about them. Right. Yep. Um, it is, it's been a process and, you know, we do a, a, a little game. If every, if I feel like everybody's mature enough, secure enough, and they do believe that, you know, everybody has everybody's best interest at heart. So it's a game called take the good with the bad. And you look to the person to your right and you affirm the behavior that you love in them. Okay. So let's say it's Ashley and I affirm you practice harder than anybody on the team. And I wish I could go as hard as you. You say, thank you. And then you turn to the person to the left. And now you have to tell the person to the left, maybe one thing that they could work on. The gist of the whole thing is, when I tell the person to my left, they need to work on something. What, is she, what does she have to do to me? Because she's to my right. Mm -hmm. Me something good. Yeah. So instead of thinking of, I can't believe she said that. She has to take that in. Okay. Think about it. And then give this person an affirmation. So it's That's hard. Yes. And. When we won the national championship in 2012, uh, we had a circle one day before practice and we did that. And that team was very, very, very mature. And there was one thing that was said by one of the um, seniors that year that I 100% believe we won the national championship that day because she cleared something up. And everybody was on pins and needles for a little bit like, oh God, what, what's going to happen here? And the other young lady looked her right in the eyes and said, thank you. No smart, smart ass, you know, eye rolling, nothing. Just thank you. And she got better. Wow. And, oh my God. It was just like, I, I didn't, I was, I, my heart was beaten, you know, and both of them handled it with so much class. So then the next day before practice started, I affirmed the behavior of the young lady that was held accountable because she, she handled it like an all American. I mean, you know, because I think too many coaches or, and or teachers, they catch people doing bad things, Yeah, but they don't catch them doing good things. And then they don't say it out loud to everybody in the room. So we try to affirm the really good behavior in front of everybody 
Because you know what happens, Ashley, is if I affirm the behavior of you that I love and you have 19 teammates standing around in a circle, they probably won't admit it, but they're thinking, I want him to say that about me too, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Makes everybody better. Mm Mm-hmm. And then what they're going to do is they're going to try to emulate what you're doing because Murphy affirmed it. He loves that. Okay, then maybe I should do that too. That's incredible. Okay, so I the story of the the leader on your team saying thank you, I, that's taking me forever. That's so cool. I wanted to ask you what characteristics of those leaders on your team, like what what do they have? Like other than this, we talked about you know accountability affirmations. What else do they have? That think, make them such great leaders? Well, first is a servant's heart. A servant leader is, to me, an easy definition is instead of somebody saying, Ashley, what are you going to do for me today? Mm. Servant leader turns it around and says, Ashley, what can I do for you today? And they do it to everybody. You know, my favorite example of this is we have an equipment manager in the, our Coleman Coliseum at Alabama. And he's a young man that's just has a heart of gold. And every single day that he has worked at Alabama, two knocks on my door, sticks his head in the doorway and says, Murph, is there anything I can do for you today? He knows the answer, Ashley. No, no, I'm good. But he does it every single day. So I use that example with every team. Anytime I speak, he is a true servant leader, okay? He, he's into the team, not into himself. So number one is probably a servant leader. Number two is somebody that they can trust because, you know, there's going to be issues with every team. You know that. There's going to be mm-hmm. something, you know, the ups and downs of a season. And there's going to be a little bit of, you know, whatever. But they need to have somebody they can go to that is a steel vault with whatever they tell them. So, um uh, we always say the role of leader supersedes that of friend. Mm. So you have to be a leader first. Okay. You're going to have to have these tough conversations sometimes. You are. Because if you don't want to, then you're just a friend. But if if you really, really want to lead this team, you're going to have to believe that the role of leader is above friend. And not many kids want to do that nowadays. I don't care, no. boys or girls, it doesn't matter. They, they just, they don't want to deal with that. So it's, and I always say leaders are like eagles. You only see one at a time. You never see a flock of eagles on the side of a mountain, right? You see True. one. And a really good team, all you need is one. Firmly believe that. I used to think that everybody could be a leader. Be a leader. Maybe, but they they don't need to be. Yeah. What you need is one or two, and then a group of hellacious followers. That's what you need. So yeah. there's a really good video for your listeners. I don't know if you've ever watched it, but it's like two and a half minutes. You can find it on YouTube, and it's called Leadership Lessons from the Dancing Man. And it's this... Oh, I've seen this. I've totally seen this. Go ahead. The, the, there's this kid that is in the middle of this concert and starts dancing on a hillside by himself. And then all of a sudden one kid comes up behind him and starts doing the same exact same dance. So now the leader is like, he has a follower and then another one comes and another one comes and another one comes. And pretty soon the entire hillside is full of people doing the same dance. So it, it took one really good trustworthy follower to make the first dude the leader, right? Yeah. And so I, I, we show it to the senior class every year. We show it to the freshman class every year. So it, it, to me, it's, it's a classic. And yeah, it's one that we show every year. It's so interesting. We always talk about the leader, right? But we never talk about the first follower. Right. But that person's just as important as the leader. Yep, exactly. Mm. Mm, this is so good. And it reminds me of just having, you know, I'm sure your national championship teams, they had very few leaders, not few, but like, you know, the ones you're talking about, the Eagles. Yep. But 
every single person on that team likely had a role and crushed their role and made sure that they were amazing at their own role for the team. 100%. And um, I try to tell coaches at coaches clinics to, when they go back to have their uh, player parent meetings, you know, at a high school or a summer ball, you do not have to play on the field, on the court, wherever to help a team win. And every parent thinks that my kid has to be a starter. They don't. You can contribute a thousand different ways as a role player. Okay. And then I'll follow up with everybody on the team gets the same size ring. The role player doesn't get a smaller ring because she's a role player. And Jackie Traina doesn't get the bigger ring because she's the pitcher. It's the same size. So always, always remember whatever your role is, play it to perfection and just do what the team needs. You you don't have to do anything special. Completely, completely. Are you in the middle of recruiting and feel lost, overwhelmed, or simply don't know what to say to college coaches? I was there too. Whether you're just starting out or have been doing this a while, I wanted to create something that you can tangibly have on hand to help you go into future calls and emails with potential coaches with confidence and feeling more prepared for what's to come. I've developed a recruiting checklist that houses questions that you could be asked from college coaches, a list of unique questions you can ask to help separate you from others, and also a list of what to do before and after those calls. And I want you to have it for absolutely free. Just head to www.ashleybtraining.com slash recruiting checklist, and you'll be sent the checklist in minutes so you can get right to work. This journey is supposed to be enjoyable, not stressful. So download your free recruiting checklist today and use it however you need to, to get that feeling of being more prepared and excited for this season instead of dreading it. Remember, it is www.ashleybtraining.com slash recruiting checklist. You can also find this in the show notes as well. And let's get to work. Also, if you want a few more tips on the recruiting process, head to episodes 42 and 48 with Tisha Mahon, where we discuss more things communication, really learning and understanding your why, and a few ways of how to stand out on social media and at camps. All right, let's head back to the show. I need to change gears just because I'm so excited. I'm going to see Molly Fickner here soon. She invited me to be in the celebrity softball game. I was like, Molly, I haven't seen a pitcher live in six years. And she's just like, I don't care. You're playing. And I'm like, okay. Anyway, how cool is it to see so many of your players, not only just coaching, but you know, being leaders in their own right, in their own fields? Well, Molly's and kudos to you for doing that. So I, I <laughs> go. that's going to be awesome. I hope it's not live. That's all I'm asking. Like, I hope they're not streaming it. She could run for mayor of Monroe, Louisiana and win right now. I'm for, I'm completely convinced. I she's, believe it. She's raised probably $5 million on her own, uh, built a clubhouse on her own. Um, but just to see her, I, and I don't I don't know how many are head coaches. Uh, Steph Van Brakel, pro throw, is the head coach at Memphis now. Um, Charlotte Morgan, head coach at Cal State Northridge. Kelsey Dunn head coach at Embry-Riddle. I'm going to forget somebody, but it's just, it's unreal to see um, that many first go into softball because, you know, I think if they went into softball, they enjoyed their experience, right? Yep. And like one of the worst things that would happen to me if somebody comes to me and said, I'm burned out, that would just crush me because I don't want it to be a softball factory. This is college still. It's supposed to be fun. I want you to go to the football games. I want you to go to a concert. I want you to go to the basketball games. I want you to go to a baseball game. It should be fun. You're not a professional softball player. So let's not think we are, right? So I want it to be the complete experience. So when they're done, they can say, man, I want to I want to take what I got here and bring it to somebody else so they can experience the same thing. And Molly's doing that. She, she's been just terrific. And Lacey Prejean, uh, she mm-hmm. called got the head job at Northwestern State. So we'll have two former players as head coaches in the state of Louisiana, which is cool. That is so cool. That is so cool. Now, 
how, because obviously you have to have a lot of talent too. So how do you, how are you able to lead a team and have them be so good athletically, but also so good in all the other areas and still have fun while doing it? Yeah, it's, um, somebody asked me one time, what's the percentage of like team building, culture building versus practice? And I'd say, I'd say it's probably 70 practice, 30 the other. Like I said before, we have a classroom in our clubhouse and almost every day before practice, we take 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes. They have assigned seating and they sit in their seats and we go over either a life lesson. We have a speaker. We have something called SOS, which is speakers on success. And I invite somebody from the community. It doesn't have to be an athlete. It can be anybody uh, to come in and talk to the team about number one, where they're at in life how they got there, what was their educational path, what was their career path, what would they do differently, what are they looking for if they hire people. It's it's unbelievable. It's invaluable. We had a, a gentleman one time from a, an accounting firm, and it turned into this incredible lecture of how to ask for a raise. And hell, I didn't know. <laughs> and, he, and he's teaching our ladies this unbelievable advice. And... Uh, Number one is never accept the first offer ever. So mm. if you're a job, Ashley, don't accept the first offer because there's always a little bit more and you should ask for it. So, and I, and I have three older sisters and most of the time happy for what we get, right? I'm the same yes. one. Mm-hmm. Don't make any waves. Happy with what you get. Well, there's a time and a place for that as well. But the very first offer you don't accept. So here, this, you know, 23, 24 young ladies learned some really good advice from this gentleman. And he was adamant about it too, because he was, so those things that just happened out of the blue, but we'll do team retreats. We have, you know, every month we have something with the team, like Halloween costume party, Thanksgiving party, Christmas party. Um, And then obviously when the season starts, it's nonstop softball, but the fall is some of my favorite stuff that we do as a group. You know, the other thing we do is when we first start school, we have class dinners and the seniors come over to my house and I cook dinner and we have an itinerary and it's basically all leadership. So we have dinner then we move over to the living room and we talk about leadership skills. And then a week later, the freshmen come over to my house. And I read in a book one time where if a, a young man or young woman who's attending a college away from home, if they step foot in one house, one house in the community during their freshman year, they're over 80% more likely to return to that school than not. Wow. It also causes a freshman who might be homesick to come to my house. I cook. Everybody's here. It's it's a home. They feel, you know, like, okay, I'm I'm part of this family. And it kind of relaxes them a little bit. And then Lance will have... Uh, the juniors and another assistant will have the sophomores. So, mm-hmm. and we've, we've done this probably for 18 years. We used to have everybody over together the first time and the poor freshman would sit in the corner, like the junior high dance because they were afraid of everybody and wouldn't talk to anybody. So once they get to know everybody in September, we'll bring everybody together. And then it's like old home week because they, everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. It's How just cool. Yeah, it's just a little thing that, um, you know, and cooking a meal is no big deal, right? But um, as the classes go older, it becomes more leadership-based, what we do at the the dinners. Uh, but I love how much we're spending on that 30% because most teams, I believe, are spending 95% on the skill level and all of that other stuff and way less on the fun, on the you know, enjoying your experience part, watching games, like these leadership things. Um, but selfishly, I kind of want to dive a little bit into the 70%. Can we do a little bit of that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Just because I know, you know, obviously efficiency matters. Like nobody wants to go to a three-hour practice and only get like this much done. Like, but how, you don't have to say like day in the life of a practice at Alabama, but like what are the things and the skills and the foundations that that make sure hit just about every practice that that you try to share with your so, team. 
the number one thing I think happens to a freshman when they come into a, a Division One program is the speed of the game overwhelms them. Yeah. The biggest negative that I found with a freshman. So we warn them from the very beginning. And we do, we do about four weeks of individuals. It's still like 98 degrees here. Mm-hmm. So, and it's cooler. <laughs> the 98 is cool. Um, so a lot of the Midwest and uh, Northeast schools, they'll maybe do a week of individuals and then they have to start team practice because it's going to get cold. We're right. kind of, so we do individuals, but then we get together, uh, team practice, and it's a full warm up with our strength coach. We'll throw, we'll go through some throwing drills. Then we'll do uh, individual defense for about 35, 40 minutes, which every position. Then we'll bring them together with the team defense. And then we're, then we start to explain what speed of the game means. And we're going to try to go faster than any game that they'll play in. So I want their head to spin during practice and really have to like, oh my God, I need a break. Because a game then will be slow. Piece of cake. Yep. And it won't speed up. And I, yeah, I've learned too throughout the years that if a hitter hits 600 in a practice, they're going to hit about 180 in a game. It has to be more difficult. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we try to, everything is random. Nothing's fixed. A fixed is you put four T's in a cage and it's down the middle, down the middle, down the middle, down the middle. Random would be high and in, low and out, low and in, opposite. Different drill in all three cages, different spot in the strike zone. That's random. And I've learned through seminars and conferences that retention is much better when everything is random. So you mm. mix it up, mix it up, mix it up. Make them think, make them make their heads really, really work in a practice um, and make it hard. Now, you you have to have a day where it's a feel-good BP. You love that probably. Oh, you know uh, it. Yeah. Just hit bombs off me. That's fine. But a lot of the days, it needs to be difficult. And you embrace the suck. Embrace it. Because it's going to be difficult. The best, you know, Hall of Famers fail seven out of 10. So I think the kid that can handle failure the best is the best hitter on the team. Because she doesn't let an 0 for 3 bother her to the point where she becomes 0 for 10. So, and you learn to do that in practice. You learn to do mm-hmm. that, you know, middle toughness doesn't come when you're 4 for 4. Shit, you're happy, right? <laughs> You think the ball looks like a beach ball. Mental toughness comes in when you're struggling or yeah. in the weight room. And you really have to dig deep. So you practice it and practice. If it's too easy in practice, a game is going to overwhelm you. A really good totally. pick is going to eat you up. So they have bought into that. Our practices are faster. Uh, I rarely go four hours. I think that's too long. That's just a long time. And I'd rather, we call it tot. So we'll, everybody puts the hand in a circle and we say one, two, three, and everybody else tot. And that means time on task. So mm. no standing around, no lollygagging, just let's go. And yeah. the best practices to me are you look up and it's like, have we been out here for three hours? <laughs> I covered everything. Those are the best yeah. practices. You know, I, I coached in college for a minute and I remember... At Notre Dame, we we always had a cage that like deliberately sucked, like for the hitter. Like it was intentionally insanely hard. Exact same reason. Yep. And it's funny because like the grinders, the hitters that were like, okay, let's go. Like I'm probably gonna fail, but I'm gonna go at it anyway. Like those are the hitters that are getting the you know clutch hit at the end of the game. Yep. It's the one that like jump into it and they're like, okay, it's gonna suck, but like here we go. Like you said, embrace the suck. I should probably name this episode "Embrace the Suck." Um, well, you've given us so much of your time and I am so eternally grateful. I came with like 50 more questions, but you know, you have you have some things to do. It's an important day tomorrow. Um, but if you don't mind, can we wrap up with a quick little rapid fire uh question? Sure. Or questions, I should say. I got five. I call them five to thrive. I think you'll like it. Okay. <laughs> okay, great. Um, but before we do, is there anything else that like you're passionate about? You definitely want to make sure the listener, whether they're a parent, coach, or player, um, 
need to hear in order to, you know, I'm already motivated by this conversation, but what is, is there anything else that like you wanted to share with the audience before we dive out? I think it's probably one thing that's been the most to our program. You've probably seen it, but it's the word Mudita. Oh yeah. What is this? And Mudita is, I would always say, if you can have, if you can be as happy for a teammate's success as if you did it yourself, the sky's the limit for the team. I would say it constantly in my first like 12 years of coaching at Alabama. Mm-hmm. Over Christmas break, I got the book, Help the Helper. It's a business sports book. And mm-hmm. the third chapter in one of the paragraphs, it starts out by saying, having vicarious joy in someone else's success. In other words, Mudita. And it's M-U-D-I-T-A. And Ashley, I, I just about screamed. I shot up in bed. I got on my phone. I typed it in and there it was. I was like, oh my God, there's a word for what I've been at my team to do for the last 10 years. I couldn't having vicarious joy in someone else's success. There's Mm -hmm. not an English word that equals it. That's the coolest thing about it. There's no English word. It's Sanskrit. There are two words that are exact opposite that are, are dirty words in a team sport. And it's jealousy and envy. Mm-hmm. And I know that when jealousy or envy invades a team, it's not a good thing. That team yeah. is going to unravel quickly. So if you and I are competing for the shortstop spot and you win it, and the very first game you hit a bomb, the first person out of the dugout should be me. Yes, we competed our asses off against each other for the starting spot. You won. You hit that home run because I helped you get there. Mm-hmm. I so much that you had to become better than what you thought you could be. There's no jealousy involved. There's no envy. You are happy for someone else's success as if it were your own. And that word, seriously, has meant everything to our program. And it can be taught. It can be instilled. I've seen it. And it's one of the most beautiful things I ever see in a team sport when everybody pulls for everybody else. And you watch the end of baseball this year. Okay. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, when the Atlanta Braves had a great year, Charlie Morton, who's one of the pitchers for the Braves, I love the guy. I don't know him. I love him. I wish I could coach him. He was asked in a press conference what was different this year with the Braves. Charlie didn't know what the hell Mudita was. A lot of people don't. But the reporter said, what's different with the Braves this year? And I love the guy because he took a pause. He didn't blurt out an answer. He was thinking. And he said, you know, I think sometimes the guys are more happy if somebody else succeeds than they do. It's a really cool thing to see. And, you know, I'm watching on YouTube the press conference. I'm like, Charlie, that's Mudita. <laughs> and he was saying it perfectly. Yeah. Knowing what the word is. And mm. watch, watch the postseason of baseball. When somebody gets pinched hit for, and if the guy gets a hit, the dugout goes crazy, including the guy that got pinched hit for. Mm-hmm. And it so. You know, you don't see it a lot in, in the season because it's a 162-game season. But when everything's on the line, you see it a lot. And Well, sorry, I was about to mention that you you did that historically in a very, very tight and exciting Women's College World Series game. You pulled out your All-American slapper. Yes, and that was, that was before I even knew it as well. But yeah. That video with uh, Brittany Rogers and, and Jaslyn Lunsford, it's on YouTube. It's called Anatomy of a Teammate. Anybody can look it up. Uh, a high school buddy of mine from Georgia put that whole thing together. I, you know, obviously I'm coaching. I, I'm not, I don't even see what's going on. But he watched the whole thing from his living room chair, saw it happening on TV. And, you know, the other thing that I should have mentioned at the beginning is, when you do have Mudita for a teammate or a coach or whoever, a coworker, it has to be genuine. Yeah. 
It has to be genuine because if it's fake, it's no good. And the, the person that sees it will realize that it's fake. When I was a teacher education major at Northern Iowa, I had a class my junior year and the professor's name was Dr. Lynn Froyan. And he said something that I remember to this day, and that's probably 30 some years ago. He said this, first graders know when their teacher is fake. First graders. So when I introduce Mudita to my team every year, I say that story. And then I'll say, do you think you can get it by anybody in this room by not having genuine Mudita? Do you think people will be able to tell? And they're all like, yes. If a first grader can tell if their teacher is fake, a college sophomore, junior, senior is sure as hell going to tell if you're being fake. So don't even try. Right. It's genuine from the heart always. Mm. Incredible. Incredible. Well, this has been a blast. And I promised you, especially because it's September 1st, Callie Hyvelin, I am a, she's my favorite player of yours right now. Clearly, obviously. Um, she's from up here where I live, uh, Michigan. And she called me. I kid you not. This is a story you probably don't even know. She called her dad actually got a hold of me on Twitter and was like, hey, can you work with Callie? Um, for a little bit. And so about a month before September 1st of her junior year, she's like, Ashley, can we talk about what these calls are going to be like? (laughs) Like if I get calls from coaches, can you help me prepare for these calls? And this is long before she was going to Alabama. Um, But I just thought it was so neat that she wanted to work on this because she knew she wanted to be prepared. And clearly she was because you got a hold of her. I love that kid. Great athlete. She's going, she to, is. she's going to do some damage this year. Mm-hmm. I think so too. I think yep. so too. All right. Are you ready for your five to thrive questions? Yes. <laughs> okay. Let's knock these out and then you got to get to work. But I need to know what is your favorite team tradition? You might've already talked about it, but like, what's the one that like you get most excited about? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> You're like uh, all of them. <laughs> um, I don't know. We do something called phone calls from home. And um, I asked the senior parents at a specific time during the school year, I mix it up, but I call them and I say, Hey, Ashley, I need you to do one more favor for me. You've been awesome parents, but I want you to call my phone and I give them the date and the time. And then I say, I want you to fill your daughter's bucket to the brim because she's Mm. a senior and I want her to hear it from you. The kicker is we're usually at a gathering with the entire team and I put them on speakerphone. So when the phone rings, everybody on the team, hears the phone call. So the parents are just flowing affirmations constantly to their daughter. Everybody hears it. Obviously the parent is extremely blessed. The kid is blessed, but then everybody else in the room is also as well. And it's, I think that's probably my favorite night, my favorite tradition that we do. I love that. So very much. So very much. All right. How does your team celebrate a huge win? Uh, They yell for me to do a split jump. And I only do it after really, really special occasions because I'm going to rip a hamstring one day. Um, (laughs) Just in the, in the clubhouse locker room, they go nuts, you know, away from everybody. They get together in the team room or the, the meeting room and really just let loose and, it's a, it's a happy scene. It's really fun to see. I love that. I love that. It's recruiting season. Welcome. What is a characteristic that you try to look for that people don't think about that they're being looked at? I think Does that I, make sense? That's a weird yeah. question. No. After a failure, what do they do after they fail? We love to see people fail. So if you strike out in a game with the bases loaded, how do you react going back to the dugout? Do you throw stuff? Do you swear? Do you throw your helmet? whatever it might be, or do you cheer for the next girl up to bat? Mm. Somebody fails. That is a key opportunity for a coach to, to watch and see what happens. Mudita. Yeah. <laughs> we need Mudita. Okay. Yep. So you're looking for it early. I love that. Um, what's a must visit spot on your campus other uh, than your field? Yeah. We all know it's a great one. <laughs> yeah. Probably the quad and it's, uh, mm. it's, uh, 
it was designed by a president in the early 1900s, and he felt there was two sides to college life. One was academic and one was social. And I didn't know this until about 15 years ago when I took a guided tour with a, a person that knows everything about Alabama, and I felt really foolish. But he told the tour, he says, if you look at the quad, and it's, a, it's acres and acres and acres, one side of it is filled with trees. That's the side that President Denny said is the academic side. So you can sit under a tree and study and read a book. And then you look to the other side, no trees. And I was like, oh my God, there's no trees over here. That's the side where it was the sporty side, the social side, soccer, mm. uh, jog, whatever it might be. But he split the quad into half, the academic side and the social side. And on a football game, day, weekend, tailgating everywhere on the quad. And they rent a tent for the weekend. And it is quite a scene. So I'd say the quad. I love that. I love that very much. Um, last thing I have for you. What is it that you hope a player leaves with? Like, how do you want them to leave your program? Uh, well, number one would probably be that she realizes that the sooner she realizes in life that it's not all about her, the better off she's going to be. Mm. And she becomes a servant to anything and everything in her life. That would be really cool to see. And then if she says coming to Alabama was the best decision of my life, that means a lot to me. They're graduated. They're going to go on to bigger and better things in the community. And, you know, we always say the best is yet to come. What, whatever we do, if we win the conference, if we go to the World Series, if we win the World Series, it doesn't matter. If you truly believe in life that the best is yet to come, you're going to have a really good life because there's always something to look forward to. And one of the hardest things for a college softball young lady to do is she plays her four years, she loses, boom, it's done. And she's played mm -hmm. since she was four years old, five years old. And I don't want that to happen. I want them to think that there's so many things beyond softball, that softball is not all encompassing. It's just something that they do. It's just a small part of them. And uh, the rest of their life is just going to be amazing. Yes, that's so good. But I know, I know every player that has left your program I, I believe firmly that they that they have this because you have you've helped athletes become the best versions of themselves, which is why you were a prime candidate to come on this podcast. And I know so many have learned from you today. I just need to thank you for coming on and and what can we expect this season for Team Twenty Eight? Oh, I, I think we're going to surprise a bunch of people because obviously we lost one of, if not the best pitcher in the country in Montana, mm -hmm. and lost really good senior class. But I think we have uh, a lot of people with some chips on their shoulders and uh, they want to really prove a point. We got some really, really good athletes up and down the lineup everywhere on the field. So, and we have six pitchers. Um, first time in a long time that we've had six. So Lance McMahon has his uh, work cut out for him, but I think he's up to the task and it's, it's a completely different six. That's what we yeah. love about it because it's going to be really, really hard to prepare for six pitchers. And we're going to use them. We're going to use every one of them. So I'm excited. I'm really excited. So, uh, and this is your invitation. Anytime you want VIP treatment, come down for a weekend series, whatever you want. You got tickets be right behind home plate and all the oh, tours you go. want. Oh, I would love it. I'd love <laughs> it. I know I played there once as a player. I never will forget that day or that weekend, <laughs> I guess. It was a lot of fun. And one of the things, honestly, that probably made my career was after the game that we played against you, I happened to hit a home run. It was the coolest moment. My dad was raising his hands. It was awesome. I remember after the game, you shook my hand and you intentionally looked me in the eye and you're like, you're a great player. And that like hit me really hard in a great way. So I just want to thank you so much for not only coming on today, but for being that light that even helped encourage young Ashley in college. Awesome. Well, thank you for telling me that. And thanks for having me on. I really appreciate what you do for coaches and athletes everywhere. Thanks so much, Murph. It means a lot. Can I go back and just play for Coach Murphy? <laughs> 
This is one of those episodes that you may want to listen to again and again. I will, because he dropped so many gems, and even I missed a ton of them the first time. I will be listening to this many times. I still can't get over his story of how he became a collegiate softball coach, let alone where he is now, but by the sounds of it, they absolutely took a chance on the right guy. The legacy Murph is making on not only Alabama softball, but our game as a whole is absolutely unmatched. And I'm just so honored he could spend time with us this week, especially on the eve of a really important day for him. If you like this episode, please share it with your tribe or even on social. I'd love these empowering messages from Coach Murphy to flood the internet because I truly believe our game needs it. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast so you're the first to know when the next episode drops. The more we get, the more guests like Murph we get to have on. If you prefer watching interviews with special guests like Coach Murphy, just all can be found on YouTube at Ashley Burkhart Training. I'll make sure it's in the show notes. And make sure to follow me on social for some of the best quotes, tips, and clips from each episode. All of my social media is also in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. And never forget to stay awkward, stay humble, and keep smiling. I'll see you again next week.